Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of On the Farm. I am your co-host, Adam Lawler, and with me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend, Lamar Gibson, fresh off some incredible hot takes in his uh, pitcher list top, what was it, 500, 300 uh, on-base percentage rankings for uh, our on-base leagues uh, for fantasy leagues. Um yeah, top 500. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Lamar, how are you? Doing well? Uh, doing okay. Doing all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we are, it's Super Bowl Sunday. We're recording a few hours before kickoff, and uh, there's nothing better to talk about on Super Bowl Sunday than some uh, baseball. Today, our uh, plan is going to be a brief one. We're going to have a brief pod. We're going to talk about some targets that we wanted to uh, identify in leagues for rebuilding teams or teams that are looking for an opportunity to uh, maybe maybe they're not in the top half of their league, but they're looking to kind of push forward and try to uh, try to climb that mountaintop. Um, so what we're looking at is some undervalued players that may or may not uh, really, well, hopefully they may boost your um, your team uh, into contention. Uh, really quick, before we start, I do want to let everybody know that PitcherList 7 has officially launched. Check out PitcherList.com. Uh, so many incredible additions. The StatCast data for individual players that are on the profile player profile pages and the team pages is, is just awesome. It is so nice to look at. As I was uh, prepping for this pod, I went through and looked up a couple of these players that we're going to talk about now. Um, and it really kind of puts some perspective uh, on the valuation of these players. So, so really it takes some time to check it out. Um, and speaking of listening, uh, you can find all of these podcasts for Pitcher List, uh, all the fantasy podcasts and all of the, the real baseball, baseball adjacent podcasts that we have on the Pitcher List Network. It's on one central feed and all of our non-fantasy pods like Nick Pollock and Friends and Nick and Alex uh, are going to be in there as well. So we got a lot of really awesome stuff that's prepped for whenever the season decides to begin. Um, but for now, please, please check out the podcast, check out the new website, incredible design out there. And again, today on the farm, our, our dynasty focus, focused prospect focused podcast is, is going to shine some light on a few players we feel like would be worthy targets, um, players that we feel like are undervalued that might really take your team, uh, to the next step. Or if you're a team that's kind of in the cellar, uh, maybe uh, acquiring these players for when your window contention uh, opens up, or potentially you're taking these to then divest them for additional um, uh, prospects or additional uh, uh, values uh, later on. Okay, so Lamar, uh, we're going to start off with hitters first. Uh, I want you to go ahead and, and tell me, sir, who it is that our listeners should be targeting uh, when it comes to valuation uh, and, and players to build up their dynasty. Yeah. So this first name isn't uh, super sexy at all, uh, but I think that he will bring value, especially if you are in that, uh, in the basement, like uh, Adam was talking about. Uh, this is a guy that you can grab probably for super cheap, if not for free, especially if you're in like a 16 team or, or up in those deep leagues, he still might even be out there. Um, for, for, like I said, for cheap, if not just free on the wire, uh, he still has, I believe, yeah, he still would have prospect eligibility for, I think most leagues. Um, 
because it doesn't have a ton of uh, plate appearances from last year. But that's Matt Verling from the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, he gives you some multi-positionality because he should qualify in most leagues for um, first base or corner um, along with the outfield as well. Uh, in the 77 plate appearances he had last year, he put up 324, 364, 479 with uh, 843 OPS. Had a couple of homers, had a couple of stolen bases. The reason why he popped them in, the reason why I would say if you are in that bottom half, you may get some uh, cheap value from him. On looking at Statcast in of itself, 95th percentile on sprint speed. So he's a he's a taller guy, but he's very fleet of foot. Um, 80th percentile max EV had a max EV of uh, 111 and a half miles per hour. So he hits the ball hard. Looking at PL7, so going to those player pages we were talking about on pitcher list now. And looking at some of the breakdowns that we have. So we have a stat that's IPA percentage, so ideal plate appearance. Um, essentially looking at all the good contact all rolled into one stat. And that's uh, for Matt Verling, that was 32.9%, which put him 7% greater than the league average. Uh, also, we, we have what I like to call effective hard hit percentage. So that's hard hit over plate appearances. Shout out to Alex Chase. Not out, not over batted ball appearance, or not over batted ball events. Um, so that hard hit over plate appearance was 36.8 for Verling, and that's 10% greater than the league average. So the bottom line here is he hits the ball hard. He has that multi-positionality, and he's playing for a team that is not very good, and they most likely will be in a sell mode sooner than later. So he should be able to collect the, the at-bats that he needs to be a flexible bench bat for you. He has a 15-10 like 15, type ability, and again, that's for, that's for free. Um, that gives you somebody to at least start with if you're in a rebuild. And he's a nice guy to have if you look to start packaging, just like Adam was talking about trying to package things together to get the, the bigger fish. He's a nice guy to have to package together to get uh, somebody even even greater that will make an even greater impact for you. So that's my guy, Matt Verling. All right. So Matt Verling, uh, first off, I know Philadelphia, you heard um, Lamar completely trash your team and say that they're terrible uh, and that their window's closing really quickly. I, and I do not want that Philadelphia rage being casted upon our podcast. Listen, they're already mad at me about the top 500. So at this point, what, what do I have to lose? So, so hey, let me ask you a question about Matt Verling, right? Because this is the hot, the hot topic right now across all fantasy uh, of baseball po- uh, publications right now. Um, for those who are not paying attention, uh, the MLB has basically agreed to the universal DH. Uh, do you believe that Matt Verling has an opportunity to increase his plate appearances this year because of the universal DH? And if so, how much? Uh, I think it, it, it definitely helps. It always helps when you're a hitter and you have that position open up. I don't think he's a guy like I know that the big one is like what's going on in St. Louis with Juan Yepes and, and Lars Newbar and like some of those guys. And that's a big question there. It's like, oh, the universal DH kind of opens it. It might open it up for those types of guys or might complicate it more. For Verling, quite honestly, they didn't seem to have a problem, again, putting him at first, putting him in the corner spots in the outfield, and he seemed to be okay. He's not great, but he seemed to be okay enough. So quite honestly, I, I can see that universal DH for Philly really being used give Bryce some, some rest, to give Real Muto some rest, figure out what they're doing with Baum if, if he's hitting anywhere close to being okay to be in the lineup. 
that might be a place to to keep his bat around. So I don't see it being a a core value improvement or value add for Verling, but I'm sure he'll swipe some some ABs here and there. Now, again, if we get into the trade deadline and after, so we get into that June, July, and then post, um, where they might be selling off some people some pieces where Gregorius is gone. Who knows what they do with bomb. Some of the other guys that they have around are no longer there. And maybe they start doing the youth push, right? Uh, Bryson stock comes up. Maybe they start going kind of trying to cobble together a youth movement with what they had with Harper and real Muto. Maybe then that changes the, the calculus there, but no, I, I would say for Verling, quite honestly, it's going to be, he's going to be getting the at bats in the corner, probably in left field, mostly, maybe a little bit and right again if they're spelling um, Harper. And then every now and then he'll be at first. Also, uh, totally forgot about Hoskins. That's another guy that's going to be grabbing DH at bat. So, um, no, I wouldn't say the DH is going to be a big value add for Verling, at least as the team is constructed right now. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I've, I've read some news that says Verling's going to be competing for one of the outfield spots. Obviously, Adubel Herrera is a free agent this year. Andrew McCutcheon's a free agent this year. So basically, they have Reese Hoskins, who can play outfield, as can Matt Verling, and Bryce Harper. Um, but other than that, they have two two real kind of open positions, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say they're, they're probably going to keep Hoskins at, at first, right? Harper's going to be in right, obviously. Um, Herrera will be in center probably for the time being until they maybe have something better. I don't think Adam Hazley is going to be that guy. Doesn't look like number former number one pick Mickey Moniak is ever going to be that guy. Um, so Herrera is the placeholder. I think Verlin. Do you think Herrera is going to be resigned because he's a free agent? No, but I think for this year, I think for this year he will be. Um, well, he's out. Center. Like he doesn't. He doesn't have a team. Like he's his contracts expire. He doesn't. He's not on the. Oh, I got you. I got you. I was. I was not following. Um, I mean, they might bring. They might still bring him back. Because I mean, I, where else they're going to? Verling's not going to be in center. Uh, McCutcheon, his center field days are done. So I don't know that they have anybody feasible, and they can probably bring him back for pretty cheap. Because I don't think a lot of guys going to be. A lot of teams going to be beating down the door for a Dubu Herrera anyway. And he knows that he knows the team. He got hot when they re-signed him last year uh, when they brought him in. So they, it might be a good like, hey, we'll fit you in now. Maybe try to flip you for some lower level prospects at the trade deadline, yeah. sort of thing. Um, but no, I, I think Verling's a left fielder and I think he probably is their starting left fielder, quite honestly. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, right, we don't know what's going to happen because we have a lockout going right now. Um, and the free agency is not a thing. So we, there are two open positions in the outfield for Philadelphia. If Verling can play the outfield, Hey, this might be an opportunity for you to go ahead and swoop in and, and buy him up now in anticipation of you don't know what's going to happen. This could really turn out to be a, a better value than even we initially thought because he might start the season in the outfield if they don't make any moves with free agency. So um, yeah, I think that that's a great one. I'm going to go ahead and talk about uh, a guy that debuted last year is barely over the prospect uh, pedigree at this point, And that's Trevor Larnick uh, from Minnesota twins. Uh, this, this guy, I'm just going to go ahead and say his 2021 season, he started out hot in about 70 plate appearances and then fell off a cliff. Um, but you have to remember, and this is what I'm going to keep hammering throughout this entire spiel. Larnick is a, a guy that literally had no 2020 season. He was a, a minor leaguer that just stayed home during the COVID, uh, the, the pandemic. And this was after an incredibly impressive 2019 season. So he, he was not, 
playing any organized baseball in 2020. Uh, in 2021, Larnick had all of 62 at-bats uh, in AAA before being pressed into Major League uh, Baseball action. And over those 260 at-bats, Larnick struggled in like definitively starkly against lefties. He had a 183, 244, 280 slash line and struck out over 38% of the time, particularly struggling against uh, breaking balls with lefties, where his expected batting average was 160 and his expected slugging was 181. So those are well below league norms. Uh, and that high strikeout rate against lefties, he struck out 75% of the time on lefty breaking balls. So that's all very no good, extremely bad baseball and why a lot of industry experts like Lamar Gibson are likely ranking him outside of their top 300 hitters uh, list. So I think Lamar, you had him at like 306 or something like that. I'm being a little tongue in cheek right now, but it's also the reason why the Twins demoted him after some prolonged struggles uh, prior to um, him ending, Larnick ending the season with an uh, injury list stint. So uh, he was really uh, a high, uh, highly thought of prospect. Um, he, but you really can't do this to him. Like you can't sit there and write him off like that. Uh, you have to be aware of the fact that he missed an entire year and the paint barely dried on his locker room nameplate before he was called up again. He had 46 games uh, before he reached the show. At 46 games basically at or below AAA before he was called up to the majors. That is such a small sample size for uh, a kid. Uh, he still posted decent walk rates in the majors. Uh, they were very healthy. Uh, the expected stats against righties were very nice and underscored by average exit velocity and barrel rates. So in other words, his quality of contacts was solid. His walk rates were sound and his team is still very much invested in him. Um, right. But the league exposed him in his first go around, right? The, the pitchers pitched at him backwards. And this happens all the time. You have struggle, you get exposed, you kind of tinker around. This is a kid who needs time to adjust. And the twins are seemingly invested enough and believe in him enough to let him work through it. My only concern at this point is that he's someone who actually might suffer from a truncated or completely eliminated spring training. And he might also, but that might also present an additional opportunity to hop on him if people are selling. So I'm still into Trevor Larnick. I think that he is a th true three outcomes guy. He's a corner outfielder. So his defense is kind of average. Still very, very, very intrigued by him. Still think that he can turn it around, quote unquote, even though I don't even think he's had an opportunity to drive. Uh, he doesn't even need to turn it around. He just kind of needs to continue on in his career. He's definitely somebody I'm poking at uh, as he's off a lot of boards right now, um, with uh, especially in redraft leagues and dynasty leagues. So uh, that's my hitter. My concern, though, is, like you said, corner outfielder, where does Larnack fit in to get enough at-bats to be valuable? When you have, like, Kirilov coming back, they still have Max Kepler. They have to figure out where to put Luis Arreyes because defensively, is he going to be at second, but you have Polanco, who's now starting to take over second because he's getting older, so he's not really an everyday shortstop. They just have a lot of, you still have like Jose Miranda. I have Jose Miranda stock, so that's kind of why I'm bringing him up. But you still have like, we don't even know if he can be an actual major league hitter, just based on last year especially. It looks like he should get the shot. 
but like where does he go so you have a, a lot of different like redundant and samey pieces that have to get pushed around and i just i'm concerned and i want to hear adam what you think that like larnack is going to be a guy that gets lost in that sauce yeah i mean i i would say first off a lot of those names that you brought up are not players that i would consider o- valued over above um larnack especially from an organizational perspective Jorge Polanco, at least for right now, is going to end up playing shortstop because they don't have a shortstop to play there. So that go ahead, you go ahead and slot Luis Arias into second base there. Um, now, do I think that if they sign a shortstop and Luis Arias becomes a bench bat, he would take away from Larnick? No, I do not think that they're that invested in Luis Arias to to go ahead and, and bench Trevor Larnick. Kirilov is going to play first base along with Miguel Sano, and they'll probably go back and forth between uh, DH and first base. I think that Kirilov could play outfield if he needs to, but he's not somebody that I, I think is going to... I think Kirilov is probably more valued than Arias uh, and maybe at or or equal to uh, Larnick, probably a little bit more. Let's be, let's be honest there. However, Max Kepler... The guy is 29 years old. He's been fine. He's been okay. I am not against Max Max Kepler by any stretch of the imagination. But I do believe that the Twins are going to be far more invested in seeing Trevor Larnick become a more uh, sustained everyday player than Max Max Kepler at this point in time. Uh, I mean, they basically have Kepler. This is a, a, uh, what's another word I could use? A, a, decisive season for Max Kepler, um, uh, a deuce or get off the pot season for Max Kepler. Uh, he's got one more year left in him with a 2024 club option. So I really believe that, that truly believe that Larnick is still their guy um, and that he'll get a majority of the at-bats over anybody. And if these look, if these lefty struggles continue for Larnick, he still has strong side platoon um, advantage. Um, and, you know, he's somebody that will always play against righties. He's got a strong, strong um, track record against righties, and he'll end up being a strong side of the platoon. And for the purposes that we're talking about, right, see uh, teams that are trying to hunt for value right now to try to build up their roster, I think that Larnick's probably still a guy uh, that people should be looking into. Um yeah. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, so let's transition over to, to pitchers. Uh, who do you want to talk about for pitchers? So this guy, um, I still think he, he's underrated, and and because of that, he may be undervalued. 
depending on your league, it, he might be somebody that if owned by a, a competing team, it might be hard to pull away without giving up a, a lot. But somebody that you definitely want to go out and kind of test the waters and see how that manager values this person. And that's um, Jose um, Yurkuti. With him, I like I said, I think he's underrated because especially on the Astros staff, right? Verlander, obviously, he's a question mark. Luis Garcia really kind of took the ball and ran with it, no pun intended. But he, he really took off last year. So I think he's kind of the Astro that's really high on everybody's mind. You still have um, Framber Valdez, who's not um, super sexy from a strikeout um, standpoint, but you know he's going to be able to generate a lot of ground ball outs um, and pretty much be able to stay out of trouble as far as giving up homers. So he, to me, I think is is a guy that's kind of has has become a kind of the second Astro that's on a lot of people's mind. So I think you might be able to get um, your kitty, uh, like I said, possibly being undervalued. The thing that I like about him is he, he gets swings and misses and overall he gets just good pitcher outcomes when it comes to each plate appearance. So looking at statistically the swing and miss from last year, he was at, um, 13.2%. And another PL seven stat that we have up is, uh, his plus percentage, which essentially is measuring all good pitcher outcomes sort of put together. So, it's looking at not only CSW numbers, but also foul balls and ball and play outs over the total number of pitches. And for Yurkidi, that put him, um, that's that he was at 64.1%. The league average is 58.3%. So again, overall, whether it be swinging strikes, whether it be um, call strikes plus whiffs, whether it be just, again, all those good pitcher outcomes that we want, which is just out generation, right? We want to have pitchers that are generating outs more than they are generating negative batted ball events. He's able to do that, and he's able to do it at an above-average rate. Uh, it's just not as super sexy as a lot of other pitchers that we can probably just rifle off and name. So he's a guy that if you're basement dwelling or if you're kind of, again, outside of that top half, if you're in, a let's say, a 16-teamer and you're kind of that number 10, number 11 team, you're not the worst, but you're definitely not in that competing phase yet. He's a guy that as you're as you putting your staff together and you're looking at your rotation and what you want that to be, you might be able to go out, seek him, and grab him off of another team. He's right in his prime, um, so you don't have to worry about uh, from an age standpoint that being an issue. So I like uh, I like your kitty a lot for all of those reasons. Like I said, the biggest question that I would say is you would have to find out in your league how he's being valued. If he's being valued kind of where I think he should be, then it might take a lot for you to get him. It might be more than what you really want to give up, especially if you're trying to be in a rebuild. But again, you got to ask to find out. You got to get that no in order to be in the no. Yeah, I mean, I guess my my main question that I, I probably already know the answer, but let's go ahead and say say it out loud, right? But Lamar... He, he's only pitched 107 innings. That's been his mo- the most innings he's ever pitched in his career. What, why do we think that he would be of any value moving ahead? Like you're going to need somebody to pitch 160, 170 innings to be a, a legitimate dynasty pitcher. So when does he get to that 160 innings? Now I could tell you, I could tell you what I think really quick, which is my response to that question would be, Hey, 
you're talking about a guy where you're already in the cellar, right? And you're going to need a few years. He's going to continue to build up over the next couple of years. He'll end up in the 140 to 160 range in the next two, three years. And he's young enough to go ahead and continue to build up. He's what, 26? So yeah, you give him two more years, he'll probably be in that 150 range. But let's just say he continues to pitch at a lower than average level for innings pitched. What does he have to do in order to truly provide value for you? Well, I think it, it depends on what you're getting him for. That that's that would be my answer, right? If you're going out and you're saying, okay, I'm last place team and I'm in this rebuild and I need an ace, probably wouldn't say that this is the guy to fit that bill because of everything that you're just saying. But again, if you're in that I'm um I'm in last place, but I've been in last place for the last couple of years in my league, and now I've accumulated all of the hitters that I need. I have my 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 hitters are are lined up now through some savvy trades and roster moves, but my rotation is what's a mess now, and I need to start rebuilding that. He's a guy that I think is a good anchor. He's not an ace, not yet, but I think he's a good anchor to start rebuilding that piece and sometimes it's easier to get that sp3 type of guy first and then try to focus on okay now what do i put together how do i build up to get an ace am i going to try to draft somebody that i think eventually will become there or do i have enough kind of bats and prospects to package a deal to get an ace from somebody else that sometimes is a better process to go through than um just from the jump just being like i'm rebuilding and so i need an ace pitcher and who's out there so so that's what i would that's my answer to that is I do think I agree with you. I do think that he will be able to build some more innings, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he's a guy that's, and especially with the way the game is being played, where he's a guy that just might be a 140-ish innings pitch type of guy. That that could be an outcome for him where even this year where we see him at about a buck 40 and just kind of rinse and repeat year over year. If that's your ace, yes, you're in trouble. If that's your SP3 guy, or even SP4, I think you're okay, especially with what he gives you, right? He gives you enough strikeouts, I think, for, to be valuable there. Um, he's a good fantasy pitcher. He's not just a good in real life pitcher. He gives you enough in the fantasy stats that if you understand what role he's going to play on your rebuilding team, that's where the value is. But absolutely, if you're going out thinking Jose Urquidy is going to be your ace based on what he's shown us thus far from the innings pitched standpoint, that could lead you down a precipitous path. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that this is a really good point to hit on um, and a great transition into the guy I want to talk about is we're, we're looking for SP three SP four types that have enough of a ceiling to become eventually an SP two type situation for you, but you are not looking to buy an SP1, SP2. You're looking to buy an SP3, SP4 that can provide some level of foundation for you. And then you can build upon that, right? We're looking for scaffolding here. We're not looking for you to, to have this beautiful tower uh, from the jump. So uh, great point. My guy, um, an ace in my heart, but not necessarily in, in fantasy uh, realms. And I can already feel Nick Pollock rolling his eyes at me as I begin to utter this man's name, Erman Marquez. If anyone who has ever read or listened to me before knows I am a Marquez apologist, <laughs> uh, I get the hate and I am not so snowed in. See, snowed in. Did you get the joke? I did. Coors I, and Denver? Yeah, Denver. Do you get I got it? it? I got it. I got it. 
Good. I'm glad you get it. Okay, good. So I will, I, it's not that I'm so snowed in that I can't look past cores, um, but I saw Greg Gibbons article on pitcher list. And if you have not seen it yet, he, he posted an article about the top 100 dynasty pitchers. Uh, and he listed Marquez as 83rd in the discord, which again, if you are not a PL plus member, you should go ahead and get out there and go into the discord. You can see me get mad about all sorts of things when people besmirch my favorite players. Um, but he listed Marquez as 83rd and ahead of him is littered with names that are north of age 35, which I am older than that. So it hurts me a little in my heart to say that these men are old and and almost washed, but let's just say that there are at least a few names that are north of 35. There's a bunch of unproven prospects, and then there's a bunch of players who have struggled mightily with injury. So that is my preface here by saying that Marquez, meanwhile, continues to post solid outputs. Again, I know Marquez is not an ace. He's an ace in my heart. He is not an ace in reality but he is an ace in my heart. He continues to post solid outputs. He will be a great foundation for you. Over the last three years, if you go ahead and you combine the last three-year stats, he's been in the top 10 in total innings pitched and wins. He's been in the top 50 of strikeouts per nine, and he's been league average in ERA. League average, right? So everybody says, well, if you can go ahead and you can stream him outside of cores or figure out how to stream him, then, then he's going to be an ace for you. You don't need an ace in this situation. You need somebody who's going to be positives in most areas, or at least a few areas, and average in everything else. Marquez is one of those guys. He has, yes, he struggles with the home run ball. I get it. He's sort of course corrected that recently by having an insane ground ball rate in the uh, 2022 campaign, but he is still one of those guys that struggles there and he's going to have some blowups. There's going to be uh, games. And I say games being multiple two, three, where he's going to give up six, seven, eight earned runs. And then he's going to go on this incredible tear of eight, nine, 10 games where he has one, two, three earned runs over the course of seven innings and he get, and he strikes out eight, nine per inning, or I'm sorry, eight, nine per game. So he's, he's a really solid base, all right? Um, he's seemingly working on the Coors effect. They're working on the humid, uh, humidor there. He's been uh, one of the best in the majors with regards to ground ball rates. Do I think Marquez can be a top 15 pitcher in all of baseball? Yes, I do think that if he were in another uniform, but he is not a top 15 pitcher when he's in cores. Um, however, if you're looking to rebuild and you need an anchor uh, to keep you in the fight, as well as someone who may be a strong SP three for you in the future on contending teams, he's only 26. He's continued to produce solidly. And I think he's your guy. I think he's a guy that you target. And if people want to come calling later on and you want to divest him because you think he's, somebody that's not going to be a part of your team when the window opens, great. But don't sell him for nothing just because people say, oh, well, Coors, and look at how he actually had reverse splits yet last year. He was better in Coors than he was on the road, as with most Rockies pitchers. So I don't know what was going on there, but it happened. He is a solid pitcher. He's going to go on heaters from time to time. And if you're in daily leagues and you can stream them, uh, great. And, and if you want to go down that road, but again, remember, over the last three years, he has been league average in ERA. He's not, he might hurt you a couple weeks, but he's also going to be incredible for you in a couple of weeks. So I'm a Marquez apologist. I'm a Marquez guy. 
I think that he is definitely somebody to target because he's probably not going to be overvalued and he's probably actually going to be slightly undervalued compared to what he puts out there, given what the industry deems as uh, common knowledge. So my question with Marquez is, are you buying if you were in a rebuild? Right. So you have a team, you're rebuilding and dynasty. You already stated your love of Marquez. Are you seeking him out also expecting, hey, there's there's this added hidden value if he does get traded from the Rockies, right? Because we know they're not going to be good. Him on the Rockies, him off the Rockies, they're kind of the same team regardless because they have so many holes, so many different places. So if they do kind of get their stuff together and look around and say, hey, we need to go all in on an actual rebuild. We got like Benny Montgomery and Zach Veen and these young guys. We need to try to use that as our, our future that we're building towards and pretty much just kind of clean house with most of who we have right now. We already screwed the Arenado chance, but maybe we can try to figure something out with who we have left. With Marquez, are you looking at, man, if he if he ends up with, I'm not going to say St. Louis because that would be ridiculous. If he, after Arenado, he ended up with, with St. Louis. But like, you know, if he ends up with, um, trying to think like a Milwaukee, or if he ends up with, uh, even some, a team like the Mets or something. I'm just trying to think of like other teams that are kind of in the mix that could um, afford and could use one more arm. Aren't you also kind of buying that kind of added hidden value to him as well of like, I like what he's doing now, but if he does get out of course 100% and he does go to a team, especially a team where he's not their SP2, which he kind of is for the Rockies, but he gets to kind of bump down in order. Maybe some of those blowups get hidden because he can become more of a five and dive type of guy here and there. So like, hey, he's in trouble. We can get him out early because we can link him up with a reliever if we're going to do kind of a tandem type game versus he's the best we got. We got to save our bullpen, which is a lot of times what he runs into with the Rockies. Um, there seems like I guess what I'm what I'm driving at is there seems to be that hidden value of if he does get traded this year from Colorado. Not only are you getting what he has done, which you just stated, but you get that possibility that there is a higher ceiling, that there is one more level to Marquez that he can click into with a better team. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I, I, so you know where Marquez came from, right? He came from the Tampa Bay organization. I loathe, I wake up every morning cursing the gods, wishing he was still on the Tampa Bay race. Um but here's here are a couple of things that I do know. One, he signed to a very team friendly contract, right? Um, two, the Rockies' uh, front office is in flux and often confusing uh, with their decision making. So uh, they've been very adamant about the the idea that they are not going to be trading Marquez anytime soon. Um, and three, uh, to answer your question more directly, yes. Uh, if, if there is absolutely a hidden value there, um, but you have to have that predicated on the idea that the Rockies are actually going to do what makes quote unquote sense um, and, and uh, trade away their cross control team friendly contract uh, ace um, and cash in on that. Uh, do I think that that's going to happen? No, probably not. I wish it would. Um, and, Honestly, I, I'm not banking on it, and and uh, I'm trying to see here. He's got a five-year contract. It runs through 2023, apparently, well, with a club option in 2024. So you still have two years of him there. 
You know what's in two years though? He's 29, right? So if he becomes a free agent at 29, again, and we're talking about teams that have short, or like their windows are a couple of years off maybe, you're looking at a guy who might hit the free free market and have still a few really solid years left in him to go other places. Um, so again, thinking long game, Marquez might be your guy. Uh, I wish I could build in that value, but I don't trust the Rockies. So this starts the Marquez to the Orioles talk. That's what I heard. That's that's what you're hearing. There are people saying this. People. No, no, no. That's, that's what I heard from your mouth. You're saying yeah. Yeah. in two years, he people becomes saying, a free agent. And the yeah. Orioles just give him a, a bundle of cash, and it's him and Grayson Rodriguez, Herman Marquez, yeah. DL Hall. There you yeah. go, boom, uh-huh. done, got it. All right, all right. So, so let's let's move on to your yeah. guy. You yeah, want, yeah, yeah. You're gonna hit on one prospect here, and your guy is a a Cleveland Guardian. Who is it? Yes. Uh, so this is Cody Morris. There's a plethora of Cleveland Guardians that I could pick as far as prospects, um, pitching prospects especially. But Cody Morris is who I selected, and really it's because he's the one that is closest to making an impact this year. Again, you're thinking about Dynasty Rebuilder. If you can get a young guy that is cheap or, uh, again, maybe even free, depending on your league and, and the waiver wire activity, and he's most likely going to make his debut in 2022. That's the type of person that you want to keep an eye out for in these rebuilds. For Morris, uh, he definitely, like almost all pitchers, he had that reliever risk for uh, the better part of his early career, but he definitely showed that he has the ability to be a full-fledged starter in 2021 as he moved from AA to to AAA. He showed the stamina and the ability to get through games uh, without giving up a lot of damage. So that's obviously what you want from any any frontline guy also showed the ability to improve between levels which you don't always necessarily see with any prospect whether pitcher or otherwise so going from again going from double a to triple a his ground ball percentage improved his walk percentages got better his left on base percentage while it it technically it dropped it to me it more so stabilized to 73 percent before and i don't have it in front of me right now but before i want to say when i was looking at it it was somewhere in the high 80s maybe in the 90s we know that for any starter, that's not going to be, especially for a young guy, that's not going to be sustainable. So when you see those high LOB percentages, you kind of get scared of like, wow, that's going to get cashed in and that's going to most likely blow up his ERA. You'd like to see it stabilize in the minors. Uh, 73% is a lot more stable and gives me a lot more confidence and his ability to pitch in and out of trouble. Uh, 52 Ks and 36 um, in his pitch at AAA. Uh, so he has that ability to generate swing and miss over um, over a period of time. So he has strikeout potential for you to, to collect in your counting stats there. The biggest thing is Cleveland rotation and that Cleveland developmental pipeline. Just like you were talking about with the Rays, we know Cleveland, they got pitchers out the wazoo. So that is going to be a tough rotation for him to crack. But I think he has both shown the ability and he's at the right age where for Cleveland, especially because in real life, they're looking to kind of rebuild and get back, I think, quickly back into pole position in the AO Central, I think that he can kind of push and he's really just a couple of injuries away from getting that opportunity, right? If and not not wishing anything bad on any any players, but if they kind of give up on Plesak, if McKenzie doesn't hold up as well as um they would like, and I know that's a big concern with him of is he going to have the stamina? Cody Morris is the type of guy that's right there in AAA 24 years old, he could get plugged right into one of those spots if there is a long-term injury. 
and just get some spot starts and, and give you some value there. And, or, or I should say, or if Cleveland sees somebody out, see somebody out in the market that they want to go after to help jumpstart their in real life rebuild, he's the type of pitcher that gets added to a package that goes to someplace that's starting pitching hungry, right? So he's the type of guy that you say, hey, we'll give you player X, player Y, we'll throw in Cody Morris as well so we can get this uh, big bat or this uh, extra arm that we think is really going to rejuvenate us here. And the team that he's going to says, we don't have anybody in our pipeline, right? We don't have anybody that we think is is really ready to take the torch. Our rotation uh, at the major leagues is not that good. Our minor leagues, we have guys that either aren't uh, actual big leaguers or they're a few levels away, right? Maybe we have some guy in the low A, um, lower high A, but not somebody that's really ready to take the ball every five days. Now, Cody Morris is the type of person that can be added to that trade. So I like Cody Morris. He's a name that you probably, if you haven't already seen, you probably will start to see more and more articles about. So I would um, definitely, you know, encourage you to, to check him out. And I think that he has, he's going to kind of be the first of many of those arms to start to break through into the majors, whether it be with the Guardians or possibly with another team. All right. Awesome. Okay. Well, hey, th- like we said, this is going to be a short podcast today. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Once again, if you are interested in any players uh, that we spoke about today or you just want to start doing your research for all of your draft- drafts coming up, uh, Pitcherless 7 is out there. Go read some of these articles that are out there. Incredible work done by some of these writers. And then just the interface now that we've updated with regards to the, all the player pages and the team pages outstanding stuff uh lamar any articles that you want to plug before we break um i don't have anything published my uh the the february copy of my newsletter has already went out so you can check that out through the twitter page um i will start to be working on some uh minor league farm system stuff uh probably going into march but nothing on the burner for right now. All right. I got a top 25 pitchers that I got to release sometime in the next week or so. Um, be on the lookout for that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the StatCast era, uh, but leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered. Lamar, any uh, socials that you want to plug? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. You can you can bother me. I may or may not reply. Uh, I have no problem with ignoring people as well. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. On the Farm will be back next week with a couple of special guests. Uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.